0: The Secrets of Star Wars is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall. I play
1: Harrison Dula on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to the Secrets of Star Wars podcast. May the Force be with you always.
0: You're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, episode 173. Hello there. It's a power that Jedi have that lets them control people and make things float. Impressive. Every word in that sentence was wrong. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I find your lack of faith disturbing.
2: It's against my programming to impersonate a deity.
0: That's
1: not how the Force
2: works.
0: Force is with me, and I am with the Force, and I fear nothing.
2: Remember... The Force will be with you, always.
0: Hi, I'm Robert King, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, where we look at the deeper themes and meanings found in the stories and characters in the Star Wars universe. Whether they're in that galaxy far, far away, or headed for another galaxy even farther, farther away... I'm going to try and make that a thing. We'll see if Angela picks it up. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Today, we're looking at part five of the Ahsoka series called Shadow Warrior. Joining me on the podcast today are Joshua Beagley. Welcome, Josh. Hello, Hello. And Thomas Salerno. Good to have you back, Thomas. Hey there. How's everybody doing tonight? Right on. I think we're all doing fine. Um... Now, the last episode left us with something of a cliffhanger, didn't it? Ahsoka and Anakin meeting in the world between worlds. And this episode doesn't start there. It starts with Hera and oh, searching for Ahsoka and Sabine. But it doesn't tease us for too long. We get to see Ahsoka finish her training under her old master through a lightsaber duel and a few flashbacks to Ahsoka's youth in the Clone Wars. Meanwhile, Hera's son Jason uses the horse to guide Hera in their search for Ahsoka till she returns, floating in the sea. Ahsoka discerns that Sabine has gone away with Morgan, and so she and Huyang fly into the belly of the Pergil, hopefully to follow them. But, you know, who knows? So, where do we begin? I, th- I think... Probably the best part is the part we all want to talk about, which is the world between worlds and finishing Ahsoka's training. Um, just let's just start. What What did you think? Like, what were you expecting, and how did it meet your expectations? Like, especially Anakin's challenge. You know, live or die. Yeah, I
1: thought that was an interesting way. To I guess phrase the whole conversation they had throughout the flashbacks, I guess is the way I put that of mm-hmm. living, live or die, and the sort of need for her to be a warrior as Anakin sort of discussed throughout it. And of course, there is amazing video or cinematography throughout the whole thing of him switching back and forth between a Vader and uh, Anakin and. Like, Anakin as Vader kind of thing. I uh-huh. absolutely loved all of that aspect to it. But I think it was really interesting to see how, how much he sort of forced and stressed of her needing to be a warrior and needing to be a person who's fighting instead of the keeper of the peace.
2: I think in broad strokes, uh, the interaction between Ahsoka and Anakin went pretty much as, my, as I expected, but in the details... It was very different, especially that emphasis on live or die and fighting. And I feel like that was almost like a metaphor of like him trying to encourage Ahsoka to to fight for life because she's in this sort of limbo sort of existence where she's kind of between life and death almost. And he's like he says in one of the flashbacks, if you stop fighting, you'll die. Right. and i took that to mean if she stopped fighting to cling to life she would die and drown in the ocean and so he's he's try he's using her clone wars experiences to kind of you know instill in her this fighting spirit to keep on living and to keep on trying to you know find sabine and finish the mission even when she returns to the world of the living and everything is kind of you know a crap show because the the villains are on top right now
0: at the same time there's definitely that conversation about you know is is fighting the only way to stay alive is being a warrior the mm. only way to to be a jedi um and i thought that was a really interesting conversation um i also thought it was like fascinating the way Anakin was, you know, finishing her training on the one hand, but also really attacking her. Like, was he, was he her master or was he her enemy in this, in this sequence?
1: I don't know. That's
0: definitely an interesting
1: way of putting it. He judged a lot of her actions for being like a caring person. Like in the first flashback of one of the first battles. She went and, like, went over to one of the clone troopers and was, like, there to support him as he was on the stretcher. And then Anakin's like, we gotta keep Mm -hmm. going. It doesn't matter. Like, kind of like how they used to say, like, in the Clone Wars, like, the TV series was like, they're doing their job, we'll do ours. I guess that was in Revenge of the Sith with Obi-Wan. But anyways, I digress. (laughs) (laughs) What, on this show? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No. It was a lot of lack of care for other people around him, and it's we have a mission to accomplish, and at the end of the day, that's what's important.
2: I interpreted it as more, like, there's definitely that aspect, considering what Anakin becomes later, but I felt also it was kind of him compartmentalizing what was going on. Where yeah. it's like, okay, like, we, we, we can't stop and grieve right now. Like, the battle is still going on. And whether we come out of it alive or not is still up in the air, you know. And I feel like, too, you, you mentioned, Robert, that there's this idea of is fighting the only way to be a Jedi, that reminded me very much of uh, one of the things that Balin Skull says to Ahsoka in their duel. He says, "You know no other way." Yes, and and that actually got me onto like my own personal theory about him. Is he about perhaps? Balin? Yeah, is he perhaps a Jedi deserter? Like they said, he disappeared during the Clone Wars. Perhaps he just gave it up. He's like, "I'm conscientiously objecting." To this war, and I'm out. You Although know, I don't want to do this anymore. Strike me as the pacifist type. No, but he, <laughs> it, no, not as a pacifist. I'm objecting to this war in particular. Okay, because because people can do that. You can you can conscientiously object to a particular war that you don't think is just without being uh, an absolute pacifist. So it 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 just got me wondering about like where's he coming from and there's there's always the possibility that he's he's a hypocrite i mean (laughs) i mean remember like you know barris did all that crazy violent stuff in the name of ending violence so there's there's always the possibility that the villain is kind of kidding themselves but that's just my two cents on it
0: well that that kind of connects to you know if Balin is a conscientious objector and I, kind of like that theory. Um, there's, you know, Ahsoka in her own way is kind of a conscientious objector as well. She walks away from the Jedi order and, you know, there are lots of personal reasons in that, but there's also just the question of the legacy of the Jedi as an organization. Um, and, and there's a lot about legacy in this, in this, um, you know, again, Balin in the previous episode says, um, you know, your legacy is one of war and destruction. And, and she repeats that, you know, my part in the legacy. yeah. Yeah. But I guess I'm wondering, you know, is this just personal or is it like, there's kind of the question of. Have the Jedi really fallen? Like, the last episode was called Fallen Jedi, and now we've got Shadow Warrior. You know, have the Jedi as an order fallen and become nothing more than Shadow Warriors.
2: Yeah, I, I definitely... That's that's a theme I've been kind of exploring in my own thoughts about Star Wars. Um, because... Just especially watching more of kind of the the, the prequels adjacent content like Clone Wars and, and Rebels, which kind of bridges the gap between, you know, the two eras. It's just become more and more clear to me that like the Jedi are not the sort of we're not seeing them in the prequels at their height. You know, we're not seeing them as the selfless protectors of the innocent, you know, <clears throat> the keepers of the peace. We're seeing them as the enforcers of the central government, essentially of the Republic and its values and its priorities. And I almost feel like they, they as an order got too caught up in that. And you especially see this in some of the, the tie in materials and in including Canon tie in materials. There's a, a, a moment that sticks out to me in one of uh, Claudia Gray's novels, master and apprentice, which is about Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan's relationship. And mm-hmm. Qui-Gon is very upset that the council seems to be putting the Republic's priorities before the, the needs of the average citizen of the galaxy. And it just seems to me that they, they, they got too caught up in that and they start using ends justify the means stuff. I mean, Ahsoka is really young in those flashbacks. She's essentially oh, a gosh, child yes. soldier. You know they they essentially use teenage Padawans as child soldiers, and it was very like you don't really understand it. Like watching animation, I, I feel like the live action really drove it home for me, and I was like, I, I like this is very distressing, but I feel that's by design. You know, we're meant to see that th- this is not good. You know what the jet what the Jedi are up to, and of course the whole war is contrived anyway by Palpatine you know and they failed to see that as luke skywalker mentions in the last jedi they failed to see that the whole war was a plot by palpatine to wipe them out and so yeah i just feel like the you know outside of say you know some of the recent novels that take place in a different time period we have yet to see the jedi at at their true height and we're still in the on screen material dealing with the fallout of Their fall,
0: I guess. Yeah. Josh, any thoughts?
2: I
1: definitely want to touch on the point that you said there of how young they made Ahsoka look. Mm -hmm. I I also felt like that was just terrifying to see. Because at first I was like, okay, she's like a teenager, you know, like 16, 17, you know. Some high schooler with some angst, you know, fun stuff. (laughs) But she was... So it looks like she was almost, like, eight years old kind of thing. Like barely, Like, barely able to do the functioning things. Just kind of, like, still sort of figuring out who she is at that age. And, like, what she's actually able to do. And here she is being forced to leave an army. And mm-hmm. expected to succeed and excel in this position. She has no sort of experience in anything like that, or even much of any experience in the world. And so she's just being bred as this soldier also without being like a clone, which I think is actually really interesting there of how the clones are bred for it. And yet she has to be trained for it in her own time kind of thing at her own pace.
0: Well, and she's, she's chastised for her compassion for the fallen soldier. And I I'm I'm remembering in our conversation on the episode we did before the series began on uh just Ahsoka in general as a character and one of the things we really uh sort of focused on was that compassion is central to who she is. Um and I'm thinking of of that episode of Tales of the Jedi where you have she you know, she's just a toddler, you know, barely a year old, but she's able to have that connection um with the wild animal. And um that ability to connect with others is huge for Ahsoka. And I was like watching Almost like that aspect of her was being deliberately and systematically driven down and driven out of her which which is a you know a real kind of of violence and abuse in a in a you know to do that to someone so young um, one of one of my theories because i I was among those who for the first few episodes thought that. Rosario Dawson was playing Ahsoka as like amazingly stoic for the Ahsoka I knew from um you know not only uh the clone wars but but especially from rebels um like just stiff and humorless and 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 my theory that I developed was that Something really deep within Ahsoka is broken. And that my hope was that in this uh in this episode we would see that brokenness. And I think I it didn't come out quite the way I expected it to, but but I think that's that's really what we saw was this was in a sense the breaking of Ahsoka's spirit. And then I think we see her. You know, when she does choose to, to not to fight back, but to, to live, to resist in a way, um, to resist the, the choice that Anakin is giving her, that's when she kind of reconnects with the Ahsoka that, that I knew from earlier shows. And, and I know that was, that was moving for me to see, um. Yeah, because she, she disarms
2: Anakin instead of outright attacking him in a way that's kind of like, you know, almost like a turn-the-other-cheek move where in, instead of returning violence for violence, she, she disarms him. And I feel almost in that moment, I don't know if you guys agree with this, but I feel like maybe in that moment she also forgave him for all the things that he had done, like, to her specifically? Like, I don't uh, know. Like, I hope so. But may- maybe that's just me, like, projecting my desires for what <laughs> their relationship would be on. But I I took it as that, in in a way, she had, you know, integrated what had happened and moved past it, in at least in some form.
1: I don't think that she fully moved past it, but she definitely... Acknowledges it and feels the presence of her being the apprentice to the person who like destroyed the Jedi Order and destroyed everything. Mm -hmm. She definitely like accepts that truth, but that doesn't mean that it's going to sit well with her. Um, it is, I think, probably one of the scariest things you'd have to deal with is you know your master committing a genocide Mm -hmm. and not, Mm -hmm. not something that you would want to have happen, but she definitely feels some guilt for that. And I think that that sort of showed and her, her being told the whole time that she's has to live up to him. And that's what he became. She doesn't want to be that. And she wants to be her own person, but she's in this legacy where she has to fill that role. But what is that role?
0: Yeah. There's that great bit of dialogue where, where he's sort of trying to reassure her, you know, All the knowledge that I have, I pass on to you, you know, that that I've received this from my master and I'm, you know, you are everything that I am, you know, and and there's there's almost this kind of metaphysical uh, uh, sense of passing on an identity. And she begins to question that. She's like, you know, but if I'm everything that you are and he cuts her off and he says, you've learned nothing. Back to the beginning and (laughs) and um, there's a sense in which Anakin is learning a lesson through this process as much as as much as Ahsoka is. But there's that that real concern of, you know, if 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 she's everything that he is, what more is there? And that that bit of dialogue comes out as well. What more is there than this legacy? She thinks there's more to her and she thinks there's more to Anakin. What do you, what do you think that more is? What, what like I mean I think there's a lot more but
2: <laughs> <laughs> perhaps she worries that that same darkness that took root and grew in him could also be in her. Somehow I mean like they several people have pointed out that in her last sort of face-to-face confrontation with Anakin her eyes kind of reflect the kind of, you know, Sith red eyes that Anakin has in in his Vader form. And mm-hmm. so I, I feel like, you know, she's dealing with that fear. Like, could I become just like you? Because what he became... Like, she didn't even recognize it as him. Like, if you remember from Twilight of the Apprentice, her famous line, you know, my master could never be as vile as you. And it's like, if if he could fall that far to where he's unrecognizable, yeah. like, could that happen to her as well? Yeah. Fear, is, fear
1: of something like that happening is a crazy thing because then eventually you'll convince yourself enough that it'll happen, too. And, I don't know, I also saw... I, I was re-watching it, and you also saw in, like, the last second before she chose to live, of her eyes turned yellow. Mm-hmm. And at first I was like, is that the lightsaber reflecting in it? But then it wasn't. And I was like, that's really interesting to see that she was just about on the edge there. But then, you know, she pulled back. So she definitely sees that balance and that fear and is able to control herself, which I think is important. She still has the compassion that we were talking about and that self-control to be able to choose the right thing still.
0: I almost got the impression that she deliberately like, changed her eyes in that moment. Like, Almost as an act of compassion of like showing Anakin, I could become what you are, but I'm not going to, you know, it's a, it's very much an apprentice becomes the master moment, I think. And, and of course it's, it's in so many ways, quoting from return of the Jedi when, You know, it starts, the fight starts with a quote from Return of the Jedi, you know, I will not fight you. I've heard that before. Um, (laughs) And and it ends in the same way as well with throwing away the lightsaber. I
2: was glad that they brought back some of the Revenge of the Sith type lightsaber fight choreography. That was really cool Uh to see again. And it, and somebody else on, on YouTube mentioned this, that, like, if Anakin had still... If if he had possessed his Anakin body as Vader, he would have been nigh unstoppable. You know? Yeah. You really st- see the limitations that the machine body put on him.
0: Yeah, I've even read theories... I, I don't know if this is in canon or not, but theories that, like, the Emperor had designed the Vader you know, prosthetics and, and suit as a way to limit Anakin, um, as a way to contain him. Certainly believable. Yeah. Rewatching the last, uh, episode. And then this one, like one of the, one of the hallmarks of Balin's lightsaber style is just like the tremendous strength and, and physical power of his lightsaber blows. Right. And yet somehow, I think Anakin in in these lightsaber battles managed to like even one up Balin's incredible sort of strength and power of, you know, I really felt the the impact of every lightsaber strike Anakin uh, threw at Ahsoka. It was um, it was genuinely kind of frightening when he when he stomps
2: into view like and you hear that like boom boom and he's he's yeah. he's flickering between Anakin and Vader that was genuinely terrifying i was like yeah. okay <laughs> i'm like it was an amazing shot but i can agree that it was it definitely made you
1: step back a little bit and was like whoa
2: and, and and did you notice that when when he the first thing he says after that when he says you lack conviction which is a very vader thing to say they they subtly worked in a kind of machine-like echo to his voice.
0: Oh, I didn't notice
2: that, but that's
0: very cool. Yeah.
1: Definitely an amazing fight, that's for sure.
0: (laughs) Well, and I, I kind of loved the way that it all, you know, we had the initial fight in the World Between Worlds and then the sort of two different flashback scenes. And then it comes back to the a fight that begins in one of the flashbacks, but then, you know, he, what is it? He kicks her and she flies off into the fog in the flashback and lands as an adult. Yeah. And it really gives the impression that this is all one protracted battle that's that's going on throughout this episode. And, um... You know, whether it's a duel of words or a duel of of blades, it's uh, it's a thrilling, dramatic conflict because so much is at stake, right? And yeah, it's literally live or die there. Yeah, so it doesn't leave you much room to be like,
1: you know, maybe, maybe they they could just both be happy and you know come to terms in the middle. You know, no, it's live or die because she's still yeah. drowning during this whole time.
0: At the end of last week's episode. I, like everyone else, thought, Okay, here we are in the world between worlds, which was an awesome concept from Rebels that I just loved. And I loved seeing it on live in, in, you know, live action insofar as anything is actually live action these days. It's all animation. Let's be honest. Um, (laughs) But um, the way the way it progressed made me wonder if this really was the world between worlds. Or if this was like something going on primarily, you know, sort of a forced vision or a, a manifestation within Ahsoka's mind, um, kind of like Luke in the cave in *Empire Strikes Back*, or or Ray in the kind of Hall of Mirrors um, in, in *The Last Jedi*. Like, is this Ahsoka's moment of encountering her own shadow? Or is this real? And, like, is, is Anakin really Anakin, or is he sort of the shadow side, or the, what, what Ahsoka fears she'll become? Well, given how
2: much we know George Lucas was a fan of Jungian archetypes and that kind of Jungian way of looking at psychology, and, you know, he talked a lot about the, the shadow side, and, of course, Filoni is the disciple of George Lucas, so I feel like that that is definitely a part of what's going on here. I, and then now that you mention it, yeah, it, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it, that, like, Anakin represents to her everything
0: she fears about her own dark side. I, I guess it also kind of answers, in a way, for me the question of, like, Oh, now I'm going to get the the name the the sort of owl creature that that uh, follows Ahsoka around in that Rebels was the, the Morai
1: Morai the daughter
0: Morai yeah. Uh, Josh, you were bringing up uh, before the podcast the idea that you know Anakin is in in a lot of fan theories is being thought of as stepping into the role of the sun and and, and of course we're talking about the 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 overlords or the gods of Mortis um, which is a really interesting three episode arc in, in the clone wars and, and everyone should go watch them because they're in, you know, some of the best clone wars episodes. Yeah. Josh, what do you think?
1: So I'll at least partially explain the fan theory aspect to it of the fact that, that it couldn't have been Anakin's force ghost because it used the dark side and his eyes turned yellow, Mm -hmm. which means that like they can't become force ghosts because they're selfish and stuff. But the father was this character who was in the middle, had the balance of both good and evil and was able to control himself and control both sides of like the coin with that. I feel like he was very much in that role at that time of being both good and bad of showing her the fear side of things and what she could become. I put that in quotes. Cause it's like, she could become ex- like a Vader's disciple, a Vader's apprentice, or she could become this kind, caring person that she sort of grew up as. And we saw a little bit more of that, I guess, in his, Anakin's love relationship with him being someone who cares genuinely, which ultimately mm-hmm. you could argue that all of his actions were out of care and love as to what he became. But yeah, I, I definitely see him, if not as the father figure, a father figure to Ahsoka. I mean, we see that sort of with the Master Apprenticeship anyways, that they become a father role. Then they sort of can help guide them through that way.
0: Yeah, even though, like, getting back to the, the child soldier thing, Ahsoka was, like, I think she's canonically 14 at the time of, of the... Beginning of the Clone Wars, Anakin is 19. He's not that much older than her. Yeah. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and he's, he's put into this figure, yeah, this role of fathering and mentoring a, you know, a young girl through an impossible situation of warfare.
2: They're, they're all brutalized, essentially. Yeah. And I've, I feel like the more I think about, the prequels like the more relevant i find them in terms of like recent history and like current Hmm. events where it's like you know they you know we're showing a society that is becoming desensitized to violence like i mean because all their enemies are robots So they can just blow them up without consequences. But that kind of almost desensitizes them later to like, you know, accepting a government like the Empire that can perpetrate heinous atrocities because they begin to look on their all all their enemies as just robot like, you know. Well, they're not really like alive or like people, you know, they're just the enemy, you know. And to think of like that. Like like you said, putting these this whole generation of young people, both Padawans and young Jedi Knights into this situation, it just must have been like horrifying. I feel like, you know, the the prequels really bring out that kind of like the horror aspect of modern warfare, you know, and we all know that, you know, again, this is another thing from the mind of George Lucas, because when he was writing the original Star Wars, too, he had Vietnam on the mind, you know, a very controversial war in which there there was a lot of talk about people becoming desensitized to violence and brutalized by, you know, a war where the the justice of it was not clear to people.
0: Mm-hmm. And I,
2: I think that the, the, the Clone Wars kind of represents that, you know, even more so than 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 any other. Star Wars thing I've seen. And it's just like, yeah, and it's funny because my, my views on this have really evolved because I used to be someone like when in my 20s where I was like, ah, the prequels, who cares? But like now I like <laughs> and I admit they have flaws, but I'm like, I, I see them as like as trying to speak to these kind of deeper issues and, and social commentary, which I think is really fascinating.
0: I feel like uh, we can maybe move on to the next sort of part of the episode, but I want to make sure that we've covered everything we want to say about this, this really incredible. And and I think absolutely central to the Ahsoka series sequence of, you know, Ahsoka and Anakin in the world between worlds. Um, Any, any, other thoughts or anything we've missed in our conversation so far?
1: I think the only last thing I have to say about it is the whole eyes thing, I guess, for Jedi and Sith is an important thing, but it Mm. was also at the very end that last exchange, I guess, between Anakin and Ahsoka where Anakin or Ahsoka's eyes turned yellow and then back to blue. And then Anakin like calmed himself down and, Put himself back into the blue showing that he had like this full control over it all and was able to sort of show her that way as well of, I guess, giving her the lesson as well to be able to balance herself between the two of good and bad or enraged and not.
0: That's interesting. I, I think I took it the opposite way, that Ahsoka had showed Anakin, or at least the Anakin, you know, whatever was was appearing as Anakin in this, this sequence how to do that. That An I, I read Anakin as being lost in the in the dark side and Ahsoka was was showing him how to kind of find himself again.
1: Maybe none of us. <laughs> Yeah, also, no, I can I can yeah. absolutely
0: see it both ways. It's it's just interesting to me that it it like struck us differently.
1: Because in my mind, I also see it as him passing knowledge on to her, but she uh-huh. did it first. So if all of the knowledge that he had was already in her, then he taught her how to do
2: it. I would also just mention about this whole sequence that it struck me very much as a. The the baptism symbolism was very much there, you know, where Ahsoka experiences a kind of death, you know, by, but she's reborn through water, you know, and, and, you know, as, you know, we say in in Christian baptism, we, we die in Christ and we are born again through water and the spirit, you know, and Mm -hmm. we become, we put a we put aside the old man as she kind of Puts aside those, you know, the, the old her almost those things from her past that from her traumatic past. And to the point, the baptism symbolism is so striking to the point that way after she's drawn up out of the water, she's she's clothed in a white robe like a Christian initiate. hmm. So I felt very and it took me a while. This did not click right away for some reason. Only after thinking about it later, I was like, "Oh, it, yeah, this is definitely baptism imagery." And it's it's like the the second Star Wars show in a row to be heavily focused on <laughs> a kind of baptism. Like it wasn't as overt, maybe, as The Mandalorian. I have was. bathed in the living waters. waters. Yes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and it's very much ritualized and and stuff like that, where it and it's like a you know a, a rite of initiation. But in this, yeah, the the baptism in in and that's a common motif in fiction. I think it's baked into a lot of you know Western writers, whether they want to admit it or not. You know, we have two thousand years of Christianity in the West, and that all doesn't get you know thrown out right away just because the culture is more secularized now. You know, they keep returning to these kind of you know Judeo-Christian motifs, and and baptism is a a huge one. Across, you find it in all kinds of fictional stories.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's part of the um you know part of the hero's journey, which grew out of you know that theory of story grew out of Joseph Campbell's sort of archaeological psychology, and at which you know George Lucas was a very deliberate student of and um yeah the like the particular christian imagery of baptism as being the way of you know entering into death and then returning to life Um, it's interesting that that feloni is is using that imagery i i don't know what feloni's personal faith is and i've i've i went l- trying to do some research and figure it out and he's pretty closed-lipped about that aspect of his life which is you know fine that's absolutely is right but but it is interesting that so much christian imagery is is coming out
1: i am pretty sure he said that he does use christian or like christianity based motifs and symbols as one of his main things as well at least Because I'm pretty sure every single episode we've been on, too, we've picked out plenty of things that they've done that can relate to Christianity.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: But also as a means for them to help tell the plot, because, I don't know, water is such a fundamental thing, even outside of religion. And you can take that as it was something that she very much needed to be able to continue her journey. Is she needed to go th- through the water, um, get this, what do you call it, like, necessity of her final training done.
0: That choice to live rather than to, like, to live in life rather than to live in her, the death of her past, maybe.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's how I interpreted it.
0: Ah, so much good stuff here. Um, <laughs> More. <laughs> One of the things that, that our conversation has really done for me, though, is is highlight the contrast between the relationship between Ahsoka and Anakin and the relationship between Jason and Hera that we really see playing out uh, in the sequences where they are searching for, for Ahsoka and Sabine. The way that... Jason, and I don't know how old Jason is supposed to be here. I'm guessing about 10 to 11 years old. Is that, that how he right. reads to you guys?
1: He looks about the age of my little sister, who's nine. So, yeah, close enough.
0: So, again, a child in a military setting. Mom's a general, um, <laughs> but definitely not made into a soldier. Yeah, I. I I don't know, I just loved the way I mean from the beginning Hera has always been the mother of the crew, but here she's an actual like um, you know, a natural mother as well as a figurative mother. And uh I I found it like a really strong example of good mothering. The like the first thing I'm thinking of is is um Jason is, is like on the, on the edge of the cliff kind of looking out and Hera is talking to, I think to Carson and, um, they're talking about, you know, how the Republic high command is, is going to be demanding that they come back and, you know, they've got these political problems that they're dealing with. And, and Jason says, Hey mom. And she starts with just a sec, Jason. and. um He's like, no, really, hey, mom, I need your attention. And she turns and gives him her attention. And you can see her, like, balancing these two different kinds of demands on her uh, on her attention and on her responsibility. But the way she listens to Jason, like, doesn't tell him what to do and doesn't doesn't interpret for him, but but like listens and then makes her decision based on what she's hearing from him. I thought that was like such a great example of. of Like good, mature mothering.
2: Yeah, she takes Jason and what he has to say seriously. Yeah, she she doesn't just blow him off. And then, by the way, I couldn't help thinking in that whole sequence where, you know, Jason is the first one to hear. The lightsabers. He's he's open to it. I, I couldn't help but think of the the gospel verse: "He who has ears to hear, let him hear."
0: <laughs>
2: yeah, which is uh, I looked this up. That's Matthew eleven fifteen for anyone who's interested. But yeah, I I just like he's he's open to the force. He's open to you know he he doesn't just see things as they are. Almost he's he's aware of the kind of deeper, you know, layers of, of, of what's going on around him. And yeah. the Jedi often
0: talk about being aware. Well, and, and and Hera, again, is is like aware of what's going on around her as well. And she's it's not like she's just completely giving him free reign. She's very careful about, you know, making sure the place is safe so that when he first comes out of the ship and making sure chopper's with him to to, you know, make yeah, sure, sure everything's going to be okay. Yeah, I'm not sure Chopper's <laughs> the best babysitter. <laughs> but at least there's somebody irresponsible around to to take care of him. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's... Yeah, she she very much wants him to be who he is with, like, no expectations and openness herself to who he is. And that's really inspiring and kind of heartwarming for me at least i love my mother but she was not perfect in every respect and so seeing like such a strong model of good motherhood was was like really um it it really kind of connected with me in a in a way i didn't expect
2: it really for me just cements hera again as one of my favorite like post uh, disney acquisition like new characters yeah. I I just love Hera. She's just she's just such a great addition to the Star Wars mythology and yeah, this was just yeah, I just love it. That's that's all I have to say about it. I I want more of 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 this relationship. I want to see these characters continue on into the future and see, you know, how their mother and son relationship grows. Oh, and did you guys notice Jason is wearing, like, one of his father's uh, shoulder pauldrons.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: That was neat. I think
1: that also sort of ties to what I was going to say of how much he actually acts like his father, too. And Mm. sort of even with a sense of the force of feeling everything around him was very much a Canaan and Ezra thing to do was be very grounded and connected with the nature around them and understanding what's going on. And I think Hera, being the good mother, sees that as part like a trait of his father, and is willing to help him grow it as much as possible, and letting him sort of teach her about it along the way too. Of tell me how what you're seeing, what you're feeling, how you feel it, kind of thing, so that way she can be a better supporting person for him there to help the uh, the situation at hand.
0: Well, then they they, you know, thanks to Jason's sensitivity and Hera's attention to him, they do find Ahsoka and bring her back. And as you said, she comes back dressed in white robes like someone coming back from baptism. Um, I've seen a lot of comparisons to uh gandalf the white you know gandalf (laughs) Mm -hmm. the gray becoming gandalf the white White. and i had never thought of tolkien i wonder if baptismal imagery was in tolkien's mind when he wrote gandalf's fall and return uh that connection had never occurred to me before um but but kind of in a back connection from ahsoka (laughs) it's like oh maybe i
2: think you're right because Gandalf says he passes through water before he comes Ah,
0: back. Yeah, He's like through fire and water. And through water, Yeah. yeah. And great darkness, yeah. How do you think Ahsoka is different when she comes back? How is Ahsoka the White different from Ahsoka the Grey?
1: A lot more carefree, it seems. I feel like in the first few episodes, she was very much like, we have a mission, we need to get it done. Here's our plan. Here's our, like, objectives. Let's follow the plan. And then she just, like, gets in a Pergol's mouth, like, Eh, it'll take us wherever. Yeah. You know, it's better than here. (laughs) So, she definitely seems very much, at least, more connected with the Force, it seems, and is willing to let the path reveal itself, and whatever happens, happens. Which I think is very important thing to notice is that she can't control everything and she has to just embrace life yeah, she chose to live and she's living it up in the Pergle.:
0: <laughs> hey i didn't even know this was on my bucket list but yeah. scratching it off my bucket list <laughs> thomas what do you think
2: and very much a jonah reference as well per- perhaps oh yeah it, it's like only once Jonah is put into the whale, he's swallowed by the, the great fish, is he put on the path he's supposed to be on because the great fish deposits the, 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 the great fish deposits Jonah on the shores of Nineveh. So he's mm-hmm. he's getting to where he needs to go, whereas, you know, now Ahsoka finally perhaps on the route she
0: needs to be following. Yeah, again, that that biblical and that Christian imagery is like really prominent, literally space whales, <laughs> um, <laughs> literally going into the belly. So on, on my my latest rewatch, I was like, I, I again, love the, the sort of very carefree, you know, who Yang is is asking, you know, so you're sure that this will take us to Ezra? And she says, no idea no idea. We'll just see where it goes. But then at the end end of the very end of the episode it it quotes Empire strikes back where uh, you know she's talking with with uh, uh Hera and she says I'll find them, I promise. You know, just like Lando says to Leia at the end of Empire and I don't know. I, I was wondering, is, is there a tension between those? Like, the I promise I'll find them, but I have no idea where I'm going. Or, or is it a, I know I'll get where I need to go in the end. The journey is going to be whatever the journey is.
1: I feel like it's a bit more of that one there of, you know, they'll get there. I mean, obviously they have to, but... Actually, they don't even really have to. Sabine could be the one to bring them back. We don't know what's happening with her right now on the ship. But she'll find a way, that's for sure. And if not, she can sing some space shanties.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, now I'm imagining Ahsoka and Huyang harmonizing on space shanties.
1: <laughs> oh.
0: oh, that would be fantastic. You know David Tennant would be down for it. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> By the way, I am just loving Hu Yang and and David Tennant's performance. Oh yes. um, Just the yes. The combination of wry humor and like like just dead delivery is is fantastic.
1: His little interaction with Jason. Uh, yes. Can I yes. the lightsaber? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it, It's very much the best comedic relief a robot can bring. So um, I just love to see it all. It's definitely a good Uh, character. That's for sure. One of my favorite robots out there.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And like, given that David Tennant, I know he's, he, he's coming back as Dr. Who. Right. And I'm like a complete noob. Like now I've, I've maybe seen like one like maybe one episode of Doctor Who in my whole life but I'm like I like David Tennant as Who Yang so if if his Doctor Who performance is anything at all like this I'm I'm down for that 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 gets me more excited
0: I mean I like David Tennant whatever he's in I liked him in Jessica Jones I liked him in Broadchurch and I I he is still my favorite of the the new Doctor Who's I don't know what's going to happen when he comes back as the the new doctor it's going to be transitional because they also have the next doctor who lined up but yeah that's going to be an interesting little little story arc and we'll leave that to the secrets of doctor who <laughs> to discuss <laughs> <laughs> oh man like I, I feel like we could just go around and round and talk about this episode for for hours but uh I, we're running close to time. Any last thoughts or speculations? Hondo comes back. <laughs> Hondo!
1: <laughs> I wish. no.
0: Yeah, Ahsoka and Sabine try to rescue Ezra, but Hondo rescues Ezra, because it's always Hondo who <laughs> rescues Ezra.
1: <laughs> that would be very nice to see a live-action Honda.
2: But oh, I doubt yeah. that'll happen. <laughs> yeah. In terms of what more? I don't want to see next episode and this is something okay. that came out of a discussion i was having with my brother because he he very much thought that we may get this next episode i don't want to have to see like a whole episode devoted to harris court martial or like part of an episode ah. i hate court martial <laughs> episodes in sci-fi i i don't like those kind of episodes and so i hope that they just we just focus on the other galaxy and that that they, they they can tell us in some line of dialogue what happens with, with the Republic Senate Committee or whatever. I don't want to see them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right on. I, I think I'm on board with you there. Um, I yeah. think we did a nice yeah.
1: way of refocusing it back onto Ahsoka there, of sort of having them part ways at least. So hopefully we don't get that
0: episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, although... I I was loving so much the Hera and Jason dynamic. I I hope they don't drop them out of the series altogether. So much, so much to talk about, so much to say. And, you know, we would love to hear what you, our dear listeners, have to say as well um, about Ahsoka, about Sabine, about Hera and Jason, about the whole Star Wars universe. Uh, Join our conversation on social media. We're on Facebook at Facebook.com slash StarQuestMedia. Uh, We are on the app formerly known as Twitter at SQPN. Uh, My favorite place for conversation is our Discord server. Uh, You can get an invite there at our website, SQPN.com slash Discord. Uh, You know, or you can just go old school and drop us an email at StarWars at SQPN.com. We are always grateful to our patrons who make it possible to create this podcast. Uh, tonight, we'd like to include uh, Sebastian G, Elizabeth F, Michael F, Jeremiah N, and Paul O. Thank you so much. Your generous donations at slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Wars and all the shows at StarQuest. And any of you can join them by visiting sqpn.com give. This StarQuest show is brought to you in part by Sam Castry Law, LLC, focusing on business and entertainment law in the greater Chicagoland area and intellectual property law across the U.S. Learn more by visiting castrylaw.com, C-A-S-T-R-E-E law.com, licensed to practice in Illinois and before the United States Trademark Office. It also really helps us when you subscribe to the podcast in any of the platforms that you use. Uh, we're on all the major sites. Uh, we're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and, you know, the rest, wherever fine podcasts are found. Uh, we've even got an SQPN YouTube channel. Naturally, the best place to find all of our episodes is on our website, SQ pn.com slash Star Wars and you can also explore all the other shows that StarQuest offers. Um, like we said Doctor Who, we've got Star Trek we've got the mysterious world of Jimmy Akin, we've got all kinds of uh, great shows to listen to um, we even have some good merch to pick up, that's great t-shirts, mugs, you know the cool stuff so until next time, when we'll be discussing part six of Ahsoka, Thomas, thank you for sharing with me The Secrets of Star Wars. Thanks so much. It's been a blast. And Josh, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. I'm always happy to join. Right on. I have been Robert King. And thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Wars on Star StarQuest. Here's another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy, The Secrets of Stargate. Find it wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com stargate.